Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, I'm sure that many of you have heard of the, it's been a play, been a movie, been a TV series a couple times. It's called The Odd Couple. I'm sure you're familiar with that. If you're not, I'll give you a quick download. It's about two friends that share an apartment together, and they're called the odd couple because they are complete opposites. Uh, you got Felix, who is uptight. He's very tidy, very clean, very neat, very proper and polite. And then you have his friend Oscar, who is the exact opposite. He's messy and dirty and kind of grungy. Uh, he's a little crude. And it's just kind of, you know, their relationship and, and how that sort of works out on different variations of, you know, the play, movie, TV show shows you different aspects of their relationship. But it shows you how there are strains in their relationship sometimes because they're so opposite. They truly are an odd couple. Well, today we're going to finish up this series called 12. We've been in now for, this is our sixth week, we've been looking at the original 12 disciples, the original followers of Jesus. And this week, as we finish it up, we're going to look at two disciples who we're going to put together because they are an odd couple. Now, they don't really go together, but as I was studying the lives of some of these men, these two guys, I just saw really what we're going to see is they had opposing trajectories, as we're going to see. Uh, They were total opposites in so many ways, even though they had so many similarities. The two disciples that we're going to look at as we finish up this series this week are Matthew and Judas. Matthew and Judas. Again, two guys that you may not think go together because they don't. They are an odd couple, but their trajectories are just so opposite, like mirror images. One goes left, the other goes right. One goes up, the other goes down. It's just so interesting. What we're going to see here is that the way that one behaves and the way that one lives, you would expect the other to behave and live. The way that Each of them end up in the end is sort of reverse of what you would expect or what what you'd think is coming. It kind of throws us a curveball here. What we're going to do is we're going to quickly look at one example from each of these men to kind of get a broad view of them in Scripture, and then we will look at how they were different, how, how these two guys who were similar in some ways, how they were so different how they ended so differently, and yet they followed the same teacher. They both followed Jesus. They were both part of this group of 12 original followers, disciples of Jesus. So we'll look at one example of each and then kind of contrast the lives of these two men. We'll start with Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew's firsthand account from the Gospel of Matthew uh, of his call to be a disciple of Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 9 verses 9 through 13. So this is Matthew writing about his own call to being a disciple of Jesus. Here's what he has to say about that moment. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. 
Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So that is Matthew's call to being a disciple and follower of Jesus. Now let's look at Judas. We don't have his call story. We don't have a lot of information about him until really the very end of his time with Jesus. What we discover is obviously not very good. You probably already know who Judas is, okay? So we're going to look at one account from Judas that tells us pretty much everything we need to know about him. It's from John chapter 12, starting at verse number 1. And here is this story, this account from the life of Judas. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. Now, if you read chronologically in the book of John, John 11 is the resurrection of Lazarus. John 12, right where we're reading, is right after that. So we can assume they have... This resurrection sort of thing happened, and then right after, they sort of have, I guess what they were going to have, maybe a funeral dinner, but now it's a resurrection dinner. Uh, And so they're all here. Jesus is there with his disciples at the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. It says, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. Sounds like a good you know, like Calvin Klein thing, essence of nard. Anyway, uh, she took this and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some of it for himself. So we see these two men have some similarities. We'll talk about that for a minute. But everything else about them is completely different. They are truly the odd couple. Uh, Two guys who lived totally different trajectories. Again, one's going this way, one's going that way. Yet they were part of the same group part of the same crew, under the leadership of the same teacher. How in the world do we explain this difference? How in the world does this make any sense? How is this possible? We're going to look at three distinct differences today between these two men to give us a a view, a glimpse into how these men were so different, even though they probably could have been, should have been a lot more similar, okay? So uh, the first distinction here, we'll look at, look at Matthew and Judas and compare. The first distinction, the first comparison, or really contrast, is this. Matthew was concerned about what he could learn from Jesus and what he could give through Jesus. Judas 
wasn't concerned about what he could learn from Jesus, but only what he could gain from Jesus. Matthew, in his story of his calling, he learned a lot right away from Jesus. He learned about forgiveness. He learned about new purpose. He learned about hope. He learned a lot of things very quickly. And his experience with Jesus impacted him so much, the first thing he does is throw a party and invites Jesus as his guest of honor, invites his other tax collector friends with him, people from his neighborhood with him. Now, the cynic would say, well, he's definitely got a motive here. He wants to show off his new friend. He wants to show off this new connection that he's made. He, he's got other plans here. Uh, he wants to feel important or look important. Look, guys, Jesus is my friend. Isn't this cool? But in reality, that's not really the case at all. That's not really his heart at all. It seems like he wanted others to get in on the action. He wanted his friends to experience what he had just experienced through Jesus. He learned right away, this is for everybody. This is amazing. This will change your life. You've got to meet Jesus. And then at the party, he gets his first real up-close-and-personal lesson from Jesus. Because there are Pharisees there. They're always lurking around Jesus always trying to catch him doing something wrong, saying something wrong, and they catch him, and they tell his other disciples outside the door at the house, why does he hang out with this scum? Why does he, why does he dirty himself with these sinners all the time? They're trying to, you know, kind of break down his character. And Jesus does something incredible here. You know, Jesus, he could have, you know, kind of pulled them aside and said, okay, guys, listen, I was invited I didn't know he was going to bring these other guys with him. I didn't know that this scum was going to come. I don't want to be impolite. I don't want to be rude. So I'm, I'm just going to just hang with me. Just, you know, he doesn't do that. That's not in his character. Instead, he defends the scum. He says, hey, I'm here for the scum. And he says, really, they're not scum. You're scum. Here's, I love what he does here. The Pharisees are highly educated religious leaders. They know the law forward and backward. They know every word of the Old Testament. They have it memorized. They even wear boxes on their foreheads and on their arms, you know, uh, to show that they are memorizing it. They, they are walking in the scriptures. And what does he say? He tells these highly trained, highly educated, highly respected religious teachers, he says, hey, I want you to go home and study this. I want you to learn a scripture. You've probably got it memorized, but you don't even know what it means. And he quotes Hosea 6.6. God says, I desire mercy, not more sacrifices. He says, I want you to go home and think about that. I want you to go home and write a report about Hosea 6.6 and come back in the morning, you know, with your homework. He gives them a homework assignment. He puts them in their place. This had to speak to Matthew. This had to mean something to him. Jesus is defending the scum. He's defending the lowest of the low, the ones, the people that are hated and ostracized and criticized and looked down upon. Jesus says, I'm here for them. I'm an invited guest. We're going to party. You're welcome to join, or you can go read the Bible that you think you know, but you don't have any idea what it really says. He gets a lesson here from Jesus. And from then on, he's one of the crew. Matthew's part of this life-giving crew. 
this selfless, ministering, giving group of people called disciples. Judas is the exact opposite. Judas is a what's-in-it-for-me guy. Judas is always working an angle. Judas always has ulterior motives, always. It even seems like the more that we learn about Judas, it seemed like he had ulterior motives for being around Jesus. He liked the attention that it gave him. He liked responsibility. As we read in John 12, he was the treasurer of the organization. He's a ranking official in this group. He's holding the money, which he shouldn't be doing that, but he was. He likes that responsibility. He craves that attention. And really, he's in it to make an extra buck. Because as John tells us, he was taking some off the top for himself. And this idea of money, of wealth, of the love of money is this it's what connects this odd couple because as we'll talk about in a minute uh, Matthew worked in the financial sector Matthew for his whole life until he met Jesus was obsessed with money and wealth and possessions Judas as we see was also obsessed with money wealth and possessions so much so he was embezzling funds from the organization he was stealing from the ministry he was taking money from jesus so they ha- they both have this former love or this current love of money money has revolved around their lives for so long and jesus talked about preached about money a lot so they heard the same teachings from jesus but they took different things away from it. One of them learned from the teachings of Jesus, the other did not. So teachings like this, uh, several scriptures just to, just to kind of rattle off for a second. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, then he said, that's Jesus, he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then in Matthew 6, again, Matthew's recording this, Jesus is saying, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And then skip down to verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Both Matthew and Judas heard these teachings firsthand. One learned and one didn't. Matthew's probably thinking, yeah, Jesus, you tell them. I had all the money in the world and was miserable. I had riches and I I hated myself. And I met Jesus and everything changed. I became less obsessed about stuff and wealth and money and possessions. And I have never felt better. And Judas kept stealing from from the ministry. Went one ear, in one ear, out the other. The question I want to ask is a very personal one. But it's this, which of these men best describes you? Now, no one wants to say that they're like Judas, but it's so easy to be like him. It's so easy to do that. Now, you never embezzle money from Jesus. However, is your faith selfless or is it selfish? Is your faith about what Jesus can do for you or about what your faith can do for others? Do you invite people like Matthew to join in on the party with Jesus? 
Or maybe you're more like the Pharisees who judge other people. Well, they're not good enough to, to make the cut. They don't belong here. Or you may be like Judas. You're always working an angle. You're using people. You're using, instead of inviting them to Jesus, you're trying to work an angle. Again, we don't want to admit this. It's a very personal question, kind of a downer, but we have to consider these types of questions. Maybe you're in a situation spiritually where you're kind of upset with God because you thought, well, if I become a Christian, then bad things will stop happening to me. And then when that didn't happen, you're like, well, God lied. God failed. God forgot about me. Maybe we're a little bit like Judas in that we're working an angle in our faith. We're maybe using Jesus if we're not careful. Maybe you came to faith, or maybe, maybe this idea of faith to you is like a, a transaction, like a business deal. Okay, I serve Jesus. Uh, I read my Bible. I'll go to church sometimes. I'll even give some in the offering. I'll even get involved at church a little bit. So then that means God has to keep me happy, healthy, wealthy. That's what Judas was doing. Too often, I think we feel like because I do this thing, God owes me this, or because I'm doing that, now I get this in return. I'm kind of working an angle. I'm kind of making a deal. That's what Judas did. Let's not fall into that trap. Let's instead learn from Jesus. Let's grow in him, and let's, like Matthew, give through him. Be selfless in our faith. Initially, faith is pretty selfish. I'll be honest. Initially, faith is save me from my sins, help me, rescue me, I don't want to go to hell. But after that moment, like Matthew had, after that, it's all about others now. It's about having them join in on this adventure, this experience with Jesus. Not about working angles, not about how good can I get it, how, much, how important can I feel, how holy can I look, but what can... What can I do through Jesus, not just what can he do for me? The second distinction between these two men is then this. Matthew gave Jesus his sin publicly, but Judas held on to his sin privately. So Matthew, as we read, was a tax collector, which means several things. Matthew is Jewish, but he's working for the evil Roman government the evil empire. So he is hated by his own people because he's a sellout. Not only is he, a, is he a sellout, but he gets wealthy off the backs of his own people because he will take extra on top for himself. He will take more off the top from people. He basically is the anti-Robin Hood, okay? He steals from the poor to become rich. That's his story until he meets Jesus. He gives this lifestyle up. He gives this obsession with money and wealth up. Out in the open, it says he, Jesus approached him at his tax collecting table in the middle of the town square, open for all to see. In the open, he publicly denounces this former life of really thievery that is okayed by the government. And he says, I'm giving that up to follow Jesus. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to turn from my sin and follow Jesus. Jesus, he did it publicly. He made a change. But Judas, on the outward appearance, seems like a great guy. Very quiet, seems pretty humble, stays in line, learns from Jesus, follows Jesus. But we know privately, he's a thief. We know privately, he's embezzling funds from the ministry, He's stealing from the poor to become rich. He is doing what Matthew used to do 
for a living, and he never gives it up. Matthew gave up this life. Judas never did. He held on to that. He never really let Jesus deal with the greed inside of him. He never really let Jesus deal with the pride inside of him. He never really let go of his need for money and really committed to Jesus. And while he's fooling others, he's really fooling himself because he's probably justifying his behavior. Maybe he disagrees with how money's being spent. So he's like, well, if they have less to wait, less, less money to waste, then it's okay. It's okay if I spend it on me. I'm justified in that. Or I have needs. We're poor. We're homeless. We're following this teacher around, earning nothing. I got mouths to feed. I got stuff to do. I got bills to pay. So I need this. He probably fooled himself into justifying his sin. This contrast is also seen in in the book of 1 John. So John the disciple writes these letters. In 1 John, he writes these three if statements in John, 1 John chapter 1 that I think perfectly describe the contrast between Matthew and Judas. Here's what it says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He, that's God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This perfectly describes Judas and Matthew. One refused to to walk away from sin and one did so freely and publicly and Jesus forgave him. We see the, the distinction here. There's potential for us to all be like Judas. Again, we don't want to say this. We don't want to admit it, but it's all there inside of us. We all have the potential to let that sin creep in, to hide sin, to justify sin in our own lives that keeps us from growing into the disciple that Jesus wants us to be, to keep us from fulfilling the plan that Jesus has designed for us to live. We fool others, and while we're doing that, we're fooling ourselves. Because we think, oh, it's not that bad. We think, I can quit anytime I want. We can think, we fool ourselves into thinking no one else will find out. It's what Judas thought, and it was really what was his ultimate demise. As we see in the third distinction between these two men, and that is, Matthew repented of sin and followed Jesus, but Judas was ravaged by guilt after betraying Jesus. Again, let me say that again. Matthew repented, repented of sin and followed Jesus. Judas was ravaged by guilt after betraying Jesus. This really is more about how these two guys end up. The polar opposite of what we would assume when we first meet them. So Matthew follows Jesus faithfully until Jesus is crucified and dies, buried, resurrected, ascends. Then after that, he still follows Jesus. He travels throughout the whole region, preaching the gospel to the Jewish people, saying, hey, he is the Messiah. This was the guy. Put your faith in him. And as we know, as we've read part of it, he actually wrote a biography about Jesus, his firsthand eyewitness account of what Jesus said and did. And it's from a Jewish perspective. Again, he's trying to reach the Jewish people by telling them, hey, this guy was the guy. So that's why we start with this genealogy, all these boring names of this guy begat this guy, this guy. uh, Matthew did this on purpose to set up the stage. Jesus was from the line of David. 
The birth of Jesus and the way that it all happened fulfilled so many Old Testament prophecies. This was the guy. Don't miss him. Don't miss it. Don't mistake it. Put your faith in him. He ministered in this way for many years until tragically he was murdered by, basically cut to pieces by a battle axe is what history records. Matthew repented of his sin, fully and finally put his faith in Jesus and faithfully followed Jesus to the end. Judas never did this. As we know, not only was Judas taking money from the top from the treasury, but he was conspiring against Jesus with the religious leaders who were always trying to catch him in something. So they have this plot. They're trying to kill him. Judas says, hey, Passover week, I know exactly where he's going to be. He's going to be alone, vulnerable, tired, perfect opportunity to get what you want. And he did it for money. He was paid for his services. So then they arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he is arrested. He is crucified, as we know. And after he dies, Judas is so guilty. He knows he's gone too far this time. It was one thing to take a couple bucks here and there from, from the bag. It was, it, was, it was one thing to do that, but, man, I've gone too far this time. I can't undo this. I can't come clean. What am I going to do? He could have repented. He could have called out to God and said, God, would you forgive me? And God would have forgiven him. What if he would have just waited, believing in this resurrection thing? He could have, like Peter, been forgiven by the resurrected Jesus personally, even for this ultimate betrayal. Yet he was so ravaged by guilt, so overcome with guilt, so stressed out, so burdened by this guilt, he didn't know what to do. Tragically, he hanged himself. He took his own life. He cut off his existence prematurely. So Matthew was really an overachiever. You would think that his story would be more like Judas's story. He's a guy who's stealing from the poor to get rich, and in the end, at the end of his life, maybe he's going to feel so guilty and say, why did I waste my life doing this? I betrayed my people, and I never, you know, I never did the right thing, and maybe he should have killed himself. And Judas, we don't know a lot about his backstory, but he was with Jesus, followed him, heard his teachings, saw his miracles. You would think he would have been the one to go out and preach about Jesus, but it was the opposite. The difference in these two men was how they responded to Jesus. That made all the difference for them. Matthew's life was changed, transformed. His future was different. His destiny was altered. He was used for the cause of Christ in a powerful way. And Judas is the story of untapped potential, unrealized potential. What a waste. Judas had everything in front of him. He was given a, a position in the organization. He was the treasurer. He was trusted. And he's the one that betrayed Jesus, and he's the one that never saw his, his life was cut short in the end. And it was all about how they responded to Jesus. Matthew repented of sin. He learned from Jesus. He grew as a disciple. He was changed and transformed and thrived. But Judas did not repent. He did not learn. He did not change. He did not grow. And he died prematurely of his own hand. What a sad story. And nobody wants to be like Judas, I understand. But it's easier than you think it is to have those characteristics that Judas had because sin is sneaky and sin is sticky. 
And if we don't deal with it like Matthew did openly, publicly, repeatedly, Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Even after we're a Christian, we still have to deal with our sinfulness. We still have to give it over to Jesus. Paul says, I die daily. That's what Matthew did. That was the the secret of his success. That's what Judas refused to do. He refused to do that. Sin was sneaky, and it grew. Sin was sticky, and it stayed. He refused to deal with it in a healthy way, in a godly way, and it was his undoing in the end. So to not be Judas means we have to be like Matthew. It means we have to be willing to openly, consistently turn from our sin. We have to not just be around Jesus, but to learn from him, to be changed by him, to live a selfless, others-focused life. That is the recipe for a faithful follower of Jesus. I give him my sin. I give him my life. I follow him with my life, and I let him do whatever he wants in and through me. That's the Matthew that we want to be. To avoid being Judas is to be Matthew and to let Jesus have complete control and let him do everything that he wants to do. Let us be overachievers in our faith by giving him every part of our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to follow this pattern of a successful disciple. We want to be like Matthew. We want to avoid the darkness that Judas dealt with. We, want, we know that sin is sneaky and sticky, And so we don't want to hide it. We don't want to justify it. We don't want to try to control it ourselves. It will get out of control. Judas is a cautionary tale of that truth, of that reality. Help us to be like Matthew, giving our sin to you, putting our life in your hands, letting you lead us, guide us, teach us, change us, challenge us to become more faithful, more committed followers of Jesus. Not our desires, but yours. Not our way, but yours. Help our, help our lives to look more like Matthew, to give ourselves and our sin to you, our desires and our plans to you. Help us to be spiritual overachievers, to accomplish more than we ever thought was possible because we're putting our faith and our life and our plans and our desires in your hands. We lay our sin at your feet, We let you do the work that you want to do in us. We don't try to handle it ourselves. We don't try to suppress it or hide it or control it or justify it like Judas. But instead we say, Jesus, take me, all of me, good, bad, in between. Everything is yours. I give myself to you. Use me in ways I could never begin to imagine. Do a work in me that I could never do. Do something special in and through my life. Make it count for something amazing like Matthew was able to experience with his life. That's our prayer. That's our cry. That's our hope. And I thank you that it's possible through your power. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thanks for hanging with us this weekend at First Century Church Online. I want you to join in with us next weekend as we begin a brand new two-part series called Next. Really excited about that and uh, ready to share that with you this coming weekend at First Century Church Online. God bless you. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you next weekend.